Hello, and welcome to the first official episode of Tales from the Chalk Line. I am your host, Anne Schwartz. And as I am a teacher, I am a big fan of structure, so I'm going to talk you through some of the things that are going to happen. So the first thing we need to do is the giant disclaimer for all of the podcasts, which I included in one of my many recordings of episode zero, but then somehow didn't make it in the end. So just a real quick note is that I am a straight, white, middle-class lady, cis lady, and um I come from that perspective. So any story that I tell, anything that I say comes from that perspective. So if you feel as though I'm getting something wrong or I am saying something that doesn't match with what you know, um, talk to me about it because I'm very open to that feedback. Awesome. Number two is going to be uh, the first section of every podcast, which is going to be your syllabus. Uh, there are a bunch of different ways I could do this, but the way I'm going to do it is what you should read, what you should listen, and what you might want to watch this week. Uh, And those things are coming. So here we go. You should be reading Christopher Emden's For White Folks Who Teach in the Hood and the Rest of Y'all Too, Reality Pedagogy pedagogy, and Urban Education. Uh, I'm reading it right now. If you go on my Twitter feed, you can see a whole bunch of tweets, or you can follow him on Twitter. I will link to him below also. He is amazing, and I am loving this book, and he is encapsulating this new idea that I had not heard of, of young urban children being a neo-Indigenous people, uh, because their experiences are very closely linked with the experiences of the American Indigenous people. So it's worth your time. Uh, The second thing is, what should you be listening to? Uh, I would say you should be listening to this, but I have been listening to a ton of The Get. Um, It is two uh, Yale graduates, undergrads from Yale, um, two wonderfully hilarious black women who have changed my perspective on a couple things, and I've only been listening for like a week. Particularly one interesting thing for me was they talked about the hierarchy of beauty uh, and how a sort of normal-looking white woman is considered super attractive, whereas you have to be incredibly symmetrical and meet these insane non-realistic body ideals to be considered beautiful if you are not of the dominant white culture. And it, it was a super fascinating episode, and I think that episode is called The Hierarchy of Beauty Standards, um, but I will link also to that. And I am not watching anything particularly great right now, although if you have some free time, I'm watching West Wing and always want to talk about it with everyone. Okay, so today's guest is Megan Hayes-Golding. She's an educator friend of mine from Atlanta. We've been friends for about four, maybe five years. And in our conversation, we're going to talk about Megan's life growing up and teaching at an independent school and her classroom. We're going to talk about Cotillion because we are in the South. We're going to talk about graduation at a school that has a lot of gender norms. We're going to talk about prom and bathrooms and affinity groups and intersectionality. Megan's going to propose a really excellent stonewall activity if your school has a GSA that needs an activity to do. Uh, But she's also going to talk about the difference between a GSA and an affinity group. We're going to talk about public versus private schools, uh, binary and non-binary. Uh, We are going to talk about some of the laws in Georgia versus the laws in California. And Megan's going to end with the section that I am calling standardized tests. So I hope you will listen. This is a pretty much unedited 
interview between me and Megan, and I think it is worth your time. So welcome to Tales from the Chalk Line. And makes a cheap interlude music segment. Boop, boop, boo. Okay, so I'm just trusting, because I read a whole bunch of stuff and I'm trying this, that it sure. is recording. And I have a thing that says it is recording. So we're going to trust it, I suppose. Yeah, great. <laughs> okay, so I'm always going to start with this. Um, who are you and what pronouns do you prefer? Uh, I'm Megan Hayes-Golding. I use the pronouns um, she, her, and hers. Awesome. And where are you, and what is your classroom like? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and my classroom is a physics classroom at an independent school. Uh, The classroom is probably larger than many public school teachers might have. Um, It's also filled with all sorts of my personality quirks. So in that giant space that I'm fortunate to have, uh, I have a ton of superheroes. Cool. Why superheroes? Um, so I love superheroes. I think they are a great way to, to tell the story of physics through something more meaningful than an inclined plane uh, <laughs> or a cow that we're supposed to imagine is a sphere and experiences no friction or air resistance. There are spherical cows? It's a classic physics problem that we always have to idealize everything to where it's totally disconnected from reality. So if you're going to do that, why not go one step further and do superheroes? That seems totally reasonable. Okay. uh, What was your schooling like growing up? I I was raised in a public school. My mother is actually a retired public school teacher. So public school all the way, including uh, all my university work. Um, Her feeling... Yeah, her feeling as a public school teacher was, uh, if you're a public school teacher who sends your kids to a private school, something's wrong with that situation. Uh, <laughs> I feel that. Yeah, definitely raised very, uh, very much in a middle class community, very near an Air Force base. And my generation of kids were the children of Vietnam vets. So the Air Force base slash Vietnam vets meant that many of my friends in school were um mixed ethnicities of mostly white kids uh, or kids with a white dad and a Vietnamese mom was a very common combination among my friend group. Oh, that's super interesting. Have you read Eleanor and Park? I know the uh, book author. Yeah, Rainbow Rainbow Rowell. Yes, Uh, I have. I've heard of it. I see it. We read it at school. The the lead, the boy, Park, is of a a dad who fought in the Vietnam War. Gotcha. So, and his mom is Vietnamese and he's Park because that was his mother's last name. Um, Gotcha. How, so of your schooling growing up, what parts of that do you find yourself doing in your classroom and what parts are like totally different? Oh, wow. Okay. So in my classroom, what resembles my time growing up is definitely the, um, I think I embody the, the friendly teacher, the kind teacher, the understanding teacher. I had a long conversation today with one of my classes where we were running short on time and there's a test coming up and we had just introduced a new topic. And um, like my favorite teachers growing up, we had a 15 minute conversation about, okay, what assignment can we cut from the schedule that you have yet to do kids? What is totally stressing you out? What do you want to do? 
options include moving the test to a different day or changing the content of what's on the test or just moving some assignments around. Um, and so I feel like I, it's important to me that kids walk out of my class feeling like the grading is fair, the class is challenging, and uh, the teacher understands that you've got more than just their class going on. Yeah. Wait, you have lives outside of school? Right. That's super important to me. I don't want my kids, I don't ever want to be the teacher on campus that I overhear my own students talking about. The, the, um, oh, he, you know, he didn't grade this important assignment until the day before the test. And that's when I found out I didn't know this topic that I thought I knew. Um, I don't anyone, I don't want to ever want my kids to say that, that I'm unfair. Uh, so, so we spend a lot of time dealing with that, um, we had uh, this past Sunday was a big. Okay, so it was cotillion for the students because oh, we're in the you south. Are in the south, girl. So it was cotillion Sunday night for the ninth graders, um, and they all came in dragging butt on Monday morning. And I knew this, and I recognized it. And I didn't want to be that teacher who just carried on as if it had never happened. So we stopped. We talked a little about cotillion. Um, then the new thing that I taught that day was super challenging, super difficult for the kids. Um, and so not only were they tired, but then they had just learned the hardest thing all year long. Oh. So at the end of class, I could tell they were all confused. I, I stopped and I said, you're confused. There are two reasons why. Tired doesn't help. And <laughs> yeah. it's a hard subject. Um, so we talked about how, how I understood where they were right then, but they needed to give it a little time. And halfway through class today, after our discussion... That same group of kids was having the, oh, I get it. This really isn't that difficult moment. Um, okay, so I have a question that I need to put some context in because someone listening might not know you. Um, you run the, what do you call your Gay-Straight Alliance at your school? Is it a Gay-Straight Alliance? <laughs> Close. No. What I run is actually an affinity group. Okay. And it's called United. Okay. And um, the difference between an affinity group and a gay-straight alliance, for instance, is affinity is kind of came out of the independent school movement. And it's a, an organization that's open to people who identify in a certain way. So a lot of the affinity groups are usually race-based. So there might be an affinity group for black students, okay. as there is at our school. The, the queer kids affinity group is called United. And we... Um, we're working on our terminology, but right now it's for kids who identify LGBTQA, um, and we've got all of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we've been talking a lot in our group about language. Like we really wish that there was a single word for that community <laughs> instead of this amalgy uh, of yeah. letters, right? Because the longer this acronym gets, a nobody wants to be the thing tacked on at the end. Because nobody says LGBTQA comfortably. And the A standing for asexual, we have kids who identify that way. It's important for me to include them. Mm-hmm. I try never to do, oh, the alphabet soup acronym. But we really do wish that there was a single word. And queer is picking up a little bit. Right. It's not, it's not perfect with our community. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I help run this affinity group. And... Uh-huh. So we provide school, support. Uh, the social worker is out right now, and we have a sub, and she happens to be the head of our local chapter. She runs all the teen programs for our local uh, LGBT center. 
Mm-hmm. And she has said, and this might help you or might not, that they have started, clubs have started to be GSAs as in gender sexuality awareness. I love those. As opposed to Gay Straight Alliance. But my question is, how are you balancing, because you talked about cotillion, the like formality of cotillion and the very heteronormative culture of cotillion with your other feelings on things slash affinity group? Right. So it's something we talk about at Affinity a lot. Um, I kind of have to separate my personal feelings from um, those of uh, working with the kids. But here's the situation. In our school, mm-hmm. in the Deep South, we are a highly gendered environment, more so than anybody else in Atlanta that I've seen. Um, so, for instance, um, we have a girl's dean and a boy's dean of students at our school. Wow. Girls graduate in one color, boys graduate in another. Right? So, so first of all, I, a, a pretty non-binary person, am moving through this highly gendered world, but I have the privilege of a teacher. So it doesn't matter um, in this case, right? Like, I can wear my head buzzed, and I can wear, um, you know, different clothing that the children are allowed to wear. But for the kids... Cotillion is one thing. That's actually an um, outside of the school event that our school allows our students to be invited to. So it's a a private company that runs this cotillion. um, And the school doesn't support or not support cotillion. And a number of kids uh, run a protest every year, um, either just by not going, which is like the weakest (laughs) protest. Right. Uh, or all the way up to, you know, we have an alternative party um, at that time because we don't buy into what cotillion means. And now that group of kids in the past has typically been um, black students. The club where cotillion is held um, in my lifetime had a sign that said blacks and Jews not allowed. So most of the cotillion protest has been around race, but our queer kids are increasingly uncomfortable with it. What they do now, the way Cotillion is set up is that our this outside lady invites the girls from our school. Um, so they all get this ha- fancy invitation in the mail. Mm-hmm. And all the ninth grade girls got one. And they are then allowed to invite a boy Ooh. from any grade, from any school. They have to send in on the RSVP their name and the boy's name. It has been rumored, although, um, you know, may or may not be true, that the lady who runs the cotillion would deny um, an all-female couple from attending. Um, And all-male couples are not even given the option because... It's not even possible. How does this... Okay, so... Stepping back from even the racial and the gender question, how does this make the ninth grade boys who aren't invited feel... Right. So um, the cotillion in particular is something that the girls in the class um, work hard to invite the boys in the class. Um, It is a super popular event, but I have to assume that there are some boys who don't get invited. I have to assume that some of them are not happy with that. I'm going to guess that that is very rare because I've heard stories of, oh, you know, 
I invited him because nobody had yet. Uh, not so much like a pity date right. thing, but more a like we all want to go to this. It's not at all a date based thing. It's it's very much a friendship okay. thing. Um, so cotillion number one is a super gendered thing that is a super uncomfortable um, right. topic that that we have not yet figured out how to um, how to break that down right. Um, how to dismantle the patriarchy there or matriarchy in this case, cause it's run by a woman. Um, within our school, graduation is by sex. Um, girls wear white gowns, boys wear green girls sit on one side, boys sit on the other. Cool. We have a girl's valedictorian and a boy's valedictorian. Um, so of course coming up in our school, what happens when you're not a boy or a girl? Right. It's actually a much more clear-cut case if we've got a trans student who transitions at some point. Um, and, you know, we're increasingly supportive of that. And have you had that at school? Have you Has, had- not, has not yet. Okay. It's likely coming in the next four years. So we haven't had a male-to-female or female-to-male student sit on their chosen side at graduation yet? Correct. Okay. Um, it's not who- also come also has been at one of these old institutions with large traditions it's a very interesting conversation right <laughs> i think i think though that's the clearer cut one yeah and that's the easier one to get the the administ- uh, i should say while it hasn't happened it's not like anybody's been denied nobody's asked and been told no it's just that nobody's asked last year we had our first same-sex couple go to prom And the boy who invited um, another boy to prom um, went to the administration, went to the head of the school and said, hi, I'm gay. I'd like to bring a boy to prom. Um, May I? And the the person he asked said, absolutely. Congratulations. Please know that we love you to death. And um, you didn't even this wasn't something you needed to ask. Um, and these kids were the hit of the prom. That particular boy um, is now president of the senior class. So, right, I mean, I feel like our environment is pretty supportive. What a lovely handling of the situation all around. Oh, right? Like the yes. kid and the adult and the senior class. Like what a lovely like model yeah. for how to handle this. <laughs> that went very well. Yeah. Um, so we have mostly gendered institutions within the school and traditions that are going to be hard to dismantle or modify. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else we've, we've created gender neutral bathrooms on campus as, um, as a safe option for a couple of kids who needed them, but didn't know how to ask for them. Um, and I think that's something we're going to always need on campus, but we don't currently have a way for a trans person to change bathrooms at, you know, like, right. So, um, do you know anything about Georgia and the laws there? Is it? Cause I know in California, trans children are a protected class and they have a lot of, um, protections. For example, they get to choose the locker room they want to use. Yeah. In Georgia. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> And as a independence, as an independent school, we don't, a lot of those laws wouldn't apply anyhow. So we're working on um, policy and I found, I've got a number of resources 
that I found that help uh, with model policy, particularly around trans students. It's unfortunate for us that in Georgia, the State High School Athletic Association is horribly discriminatory. And um, you have to go by the sex on your birth certificate for sports. And that's an immutable thing that can never be changed. (laughs) So not only do they say you got to go by the sex on your birth certificate, but then they're like, screw you. Even if you do change your birth certificate, we're not going to listen. Sports. I mean, hello, patriarchy. When we start talking about sports, right? (laughs) I come from the, I didn't have sports really growing up. I'm, I'm the like consummate theater kid. I do not understand sports. So, (laughs) but I look at that and I see that when you say we are working on it, is there a committee at your school? Is there a group? Do you have a person you talk to? Yeah. Good question. So we're at the very beginning of this process. As is everyone. Um, (laughs) So, uh, not yet. Do we have a committee? Um, we do have a diversity coordinator at our school. That's a super help, super helpful role that a lot of the independent schools have, as you know. Yep. Um, we the, didn't have the, one, by the way. Oh man! So the diversity coordinator is is a person is our person on campus for faculty and students to work through these things. One thing I love about the position and our diversity coordinator is she's a really good sense of how to actually affect change and how to not just be tilting at windmills. That's an amazing, important job. (laughs) Right. So like um, with some recent conversations, um, she's given me some idea of the big strategic picture. Some of these other concerns that I didn't even realize existed, how to get people to buy in to change. Which Um, is hard. You know, like, (laughs) Right. Do we start with the parents, the students, the faculty, the board of trustees? You know, how do we go about exactly right? There's 40 million stakeholders in our school because we're a large school. Well, we have have 800 kids in the upper school. And so it's it's by um, by the way, when people listen to this and you say that's a large school, they're just going to laugh at you. You understand that, right? (laughs) A large independent school. There it is. (laughs) Is 800 kids. Um, Yet we do fit in the large school category for the for the uh, United States independent schools. Um, That's 200 kids a grade. It's uh, almost perfectly even 100 girls, 100 boys. Um, and so, right. So we're right back to the gender thing. Um, gender is our biggest challenge right now. Do you, what is the racial makeup of your school? Ah, great question. Okay. So we've got, we do not quite reflect the racial makeup of Atlanta, um, which would be majority people of color. Um, our school is around 30% African-American, probably, no, it's, it's less than 30. It might be more like 20 to 25% black. Um, and then probably another 10% of um, other people of color. Um, our Latino population is the number that's way lower than Atlanta would, um, averages across Atlanta would seem to imply. Okay, that makes sense. And are you seeing um, an intersection of racial issues and gender issues? Holy cow, yes. Okay. Our, our affinity group is um, 
easily half, maybe more students of color. Um, and the intersectionalities that we discuss are just all over the map. Um, some of the more interesting ones have been um, once, uh, when a student is multiracial. Mm-hmm. And so then you've got cultural expectations coming from mom and dad that clash. Um, and then the kid is dealing with sexuality and or gender differences from mom and dad. Right. So one of the things that affinity is different for uh, LGBT kids is in a black affinity group, almost everybody in that group, their parents share their affinity. Right. Um, and so, you know, cultural stuff and um, connection to your identity, those are all fostered at home when your affinity is race-based. Uh, not all, right? Of course, right, we've got course. trans transracially adopted kids. You've got multiracial families. Right. But 90% of our kids in a race-based affinity group share it with their parents. Our kids don't, um, the LGBT kids. Uh, so the intersections that we deal with a lot are the that's just not okay for our people type stuff, um, right? So rejection of a sexuality or gender identity. Based on race. Based on, based on some racial, um, mm-hmm. you know, community norms. I've, I, as you say that, I am thinking of my 60% Hispanic school and my Hispanic parents, not all of whom, but some of whom have similar um, some of my students have spoken about similar struggles there. Um, yeah, it's funny you should mention um, your your Hispanic students. Um, we've got a couple of of um, Latino students in our group who that's actually the strongest community where we get the parents for, through the kids. You know, hearing yeah. about through the kids, of course, uh, secondhand. Um, that's where I hear it the strongest. Right, rejection from the family. Um, and, you know, we also have some class issues mm-hmm. going on there. Um, it is not a truth that our students of color are also our lower socioeconomic kids, um, but that's a common misconception. Oh. Uh, all, you know, so, right, so there's a, a misconception in a school environment like ours that's predominantly wealthy that if you're a student of color, maybe that means you're also on financial aid. Um, it is not uh, not a truism, but... There is some truth to it. Right. In our affinity group with the LGBT kids, um, we do have some students who have socioeconomic and then race and then their gender and sexuality all going on at once. One of my favorite load. (laughs) It's a lot, right? For a 14 year old. Uh So, one of my favorite activities this year was um, several people deconstructed the Stonewall movie. Right, which totally erased people of color from a, a story of um, gay liberation, um, also erasing trans people from the story mm-hmm. for the most part. So we brought in some of these deconstructions. Um, oh, what is it? Uh, the MTV show, Francesca. I can't think of what her last name is. I have no idea. Ramsey? I have no Ramsey? idea. I don't know anything Anyhow. about this. Uh, all right. So uh, I'm googling anyhow she um this woman runs this show uh on youtube that's hosted or that's sponsored by mtv Uh and it deconstructs all sorts of 
um, really cool race and gender and sexuality stuff. And I think her name is Francesca. It's called Decoded, right? Yes. It's called Decoded. I have seen one episode. Hold on. Francesca Ramsey. Yep. That's who you were absolutely right. So she did a really good one on Stonewall. Um, Hollywood whitewashing here. Um, I will link to it somewhere yep. underneath wherever All right. I figure out how to post this. <laughs> Put it in the doobly-doo. <laughs> in the doobly-doo. Oh, so cute. So um, did Hollywood whitewash Stonewall, one of my favorite activities this year. We did it way back in the fall. The kids came in, and um, I play uh, her bit. It's like a five-minute-long bit where she talks about all the problems with this movie. Mm-hmm. And um, a couple interesting things came out of that. Uh, number one, a fabulous discussion about whitewashing, right? Many of our students are on the younger side of high school. So, you know, whereas those of us who are more engaged in conversations about about social justice understand what's meant by the phrase whitewash. Right. Uh, we talk, We had to define the phrase, but then we had a fabulous discussion about that. And they brought up other movies where this had happened. But then half an hour excuse me, half an hour into this discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, We have had a fabulous conversation about Stonewall, what really happened in Stonewall versus what happens in the movie. And we're, um, we're replaying this, this MTV piece. One of my students raises her hand, 14 year old freshman says, what's Stonewall? Yeah, girls. So, right. So, so there's a really interesting problem in these affinity groups of we're not all coming in at the same place. Nope. Um, and in particular, that was super obvious to me that like very basic um, community history, right? Like if you shared your affinity with your parents, you would know what Stonewall was. Right. Um, and he's not just that guy who's carved into Stone Mountain here in, <laughs> in, in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Uh, right. Like Stonewall is is such a touchstone in our history. And for a kid to have not ever heard about it. um Again, it's it spoke to a lot of these intersections, right? She was a student of color. English isn't her first language. And yet she already knew something about her sexual identity, sexual uh, sexuality that I didn't know until I was 23. So on the one hand, here's a kid who knew nothing about her community. Right. But she knew it was her community. Right. Which is just, yeah. And... Then you got to teach her some things. I'm yeah. hoping the students taught her some things, but right, <laughs> that's very cool. That is, whew, it's a lot, <laughs> right? I wonder, did you teach public school? You did for a little bit, right? I did three years. Yeah. Okay, and some of it is the school you're in, and some of it is all of these things. But do you find that you? are running into these issues more just because of the time maybe? Or did you come up a lot against this stuff when you were in public school too? Um, it's a bad right, those are great questions. Okay, good. So, <laughs> so here's the weird thing. My public school experience was immediately prior to this school. So I've been here for four years and then I was three years at the public school. Um, the public school was the poorest school in town. The independent school I'm at now is the richest school in town. Look at you. (laughs) The public school was um, in a refugee community. 
and a black community. Okay. There were almost no white kids at the school. The independent school is not many students of color um, and more than anything, uh, no refugees and very little, um, not as much socioeconomic differences. Right. I mean, I had no socioeconomic differences back at the public school. They were all poor. Right. Um, But so, and it was a few years ago. So I don't really have a good sense of why at this school now are all these conversations coming up. It was not silent at the other school. Okay. Um, We had one student kicked out of her home who uh, a couple teachers and I found her space to live because she was kicked out because she was lesbian. We, you know, we found her a space to live. We helped her get to school, um, right? Like, it wasn't um, a non-discussed topic. I was out in all my classes, and the kids were fine. Like, I didn't get anything to my face, usually. Um, it wasn't an intolerant environment. It just wasn't that we had a GSA, and right. we didn't talk about intersectionality <laughs> in that community. Um Whereas I do now with my freshmen, right? Like right. those kids in this club understand what that means. I don't have a good sense of, of what changed. I really think a lot of it, though, if, if I was going to make a wild guess, I really think a lot of the change is the independent school. Okay. One thing I've noticed is that wealthier and more privileged people have more time for things that poor people don't. I always joke, one of those things is exercise. Um, there are so many people who walk, jog, and otherwise exercise on our campus all day long. Whereas back at the old private public school, like, I never saw anybody out for exercise. Um, yeah, that's a, and, that's a real class indicator. Yeah, right. And then Leisure the other thing. time, right? Right. Time to study social justice. Social justice was a phrase I don't think I ever heard in the public school. Yeah, I could see that. You were in a very particular situation at a public school, right? Like I, yeah, it depends totally. Like you went from lowest to highest. Some of those middle ground are, are having conversations about social justice and all of that. All right. I want to ask you one more thing. And then I have like a, a real quick thing we're going to do at the end. Okay. My okay. one more question is what, and I don't think I'm outing you here because you talked about yourself being non-binary and you're married to a woman. <laughs> so I don't feel like I'm outing you here, but if you really want me to cut this, I would certainly do that. Um, what responsibility do you feel or do you, or do you carry with you um, in being this non-binary gay woman on a campus? Yeah, right. Okay, so. Or none at all. Yeah. No, I actually do really feel a responsibility. And I've seen a couple of things happen in the last couple of years with my own outward expression of my identity. Um, The responsibility I feel is to be a role model, um, Mm -hmm. to be visible. And I think the responsibility is split evenly role model to the queer kids. Mm -hmm. So, right. So there's somebody like me who can um, who I can talk to, who who can help me out, or who is just simply existing um, and showing me that, that, you know, this is an okay way to be. The other half of my responsibility is to my straight kids, my straight and cis-identified kids, um, 
who have no idea. They just know that I'm their physics teacher and that they're pretty okay with that, right? Like, mm-hmm. or maybe they love physics. And so I think half of my responsibility is to the kids for whom I'm the first person like me that they've met. Yeah. Um, and, and so in terms of my outward expression of my identity, a couple of things have changed in the last four years. Number one, um, my style of dress has gotten more masculine. Uh, so I throw on a bow tie two or three times a week. Um, I, I have been rocking a sweater vest recently, <laughs> right? So like I'll dress more masculinely. If I didn't feel this responsibility, I don't know that I would dress this way. Um, And if I, I I like being a fish out of water. So in my school environment, the women dress very femininely. They all have hair halfway down their backs. Teachers, I'm not just talking about the kids. So I like being the fish out of water. Um, So it helps me stand out. Now, that makes it sound like my choice of a bow tie is a super calculated thing. It's not like that. Yeah. It's just that at some point in putting on a bow tie, I said, wait, why am I doing this? Um, a little bit of it might also be a, let's see how far I can push it with my administration. As one uh, does. Right. At what point are they going to tell me to stop? And at what point am I going to get all self-righteously angry at them? Um, we haven't found it yet. It's very much the parent-child thing. I feel very similarly to my administration. I push. I feel that. <laughs> and I love my administration, and I think they love me. So it's pushing mm-hmm. uh, boundaries with that parent that you love. Yeah, I feel very similarly to that. I love my administration. I think they are the best, and I will always poke. I'm not going to not poke. It's just who I am as a human. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to do this last thing. I'm calling it standardized test. So I'm going to ask you really quick, short answer questions. Um, Do you ever listen to a podcast called Another Round? No. Okay, you should. I will put it on my list. Um, um, And at one point they do this part where they call it pew, 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 which makes me laugh every single time, where they're finger guns. Yes, And then they have to explain it every time because it's a podcast. So every single time they're doing this, but uh, since it's an education podcast, I decided to call it standardized test. But I want to be very clear that I'm essentially just stealing their idea. This is great. Okay. So the first question is, do you have catchphrases as a teacher? Are there things you say a lot? Give me a couple. No worries. And the response to may I use the restroom is always good luck. (laughs) I like that. Um, What was your favorite subject as a kid? Physics. Oh, well, that's easy. Um, What is a new thing that you have learned recently? Oh, my God. Uh, Woodworking. Cool. Are you making something in particular? I'm trying to be a better maker and not cut off my fingers. That's Um, an important life thing. Birdhouses are the biggest thing. What is a song or album you have been listening to over and over? Oh, wow. This is going to – I'm so gay here. Tegan and Sarah, anything of theirs. <laughs> okay. Um, what is it, who is a person that you think everyone should follow on Twitter? Besides who you and me. Because obviously yeah, I should not follow Yeah, who is not you and me? Right, right. Um, 
I'm going to say, oh, who do I always read and love? Frank Noskesi. Do you know he's Frank No Cheese in my head? Yes. <laughs> Frank No Cheese. Frank No Cheese. I will link to him and we're going to make fun of the Vlog Brothers in the doobly-doo. Uh, <laughs> uh, what is a TV show that you have watched start to finish? Either, either recently or the most times. Okay, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Mm, everyone should Many watch Many times. Good gay character, Buffy the Vampire Slayers. Very much Not so. her, but, you know. Um, probably one of the first or one of the most out. There's got to be stuff about that, about the witch. Pushed a lot of boundaries early on. Hey, yeah. did you hear that somebody's writing a Xena reboot? Well, as one should. In order to make Xena and Gabrielle gay. Well, that seems like the right choice. Yes. <laughs> uh, weirdest place you have run into a student. Okay. It was not the drag show because I didn't go that night. It was. <laughs> oh, that was a good qualifier that yeah. night. Yeah. I, I was warned that a student of mine was during drag a number of years ago. And a colleague of mine was like, oh, yeah, I ran into so-and-so at the drag show. Um I did not go, so I did not run into him. Uh, that was on purpose. Okay, the weirdest place, I- I'm going to have to say it was at Gay Pride in Atlanta um, because it was a student who I currently teach who I presume is straight. She was there with her mother. She's from New York, and I think New Yorkers just go to Pride. They- we don't really do that here in Atlanta if you're not gay. Well, get it, girl. <laughs> Good allying. Right. Um. Uh, what is something that you are really good at? Oh my. Uh-huh. My, my, this is a question I ask my students a lot and they struggle with it or they try to qualify it with something. Well, I think I'm really good at, or most of the time I'm really good at, but what is something that you are really good at? Wow. And I would have done both of those things. I understand that. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I'm good at... Social media. You're really good at social media? I think I am, yes. Stop saying I think. See, you hear yourself? <laughs> you, have, wow. you have to be really good at something. It's a hard I question. I am good at social media. I, I Oh, okay. I'm going to change. Okay. Uh, I am good at connecting people. Oh. Hey, you. You're, you like this thing. So does this other person. You totally need to know them. That's a really good life school skill. Um, what would you be if you weren't a teacher? I would absolutely be a webmaster somewhere because I was a webmaster before becoming a teacher. And if I hadn't been laid off, I would probably still be doing that. Thank heavens for dot-com layoffs. It's such a wonderful title, though. Yes. Webmaster. It's way cooler than teacher. I just want to be clear. For sure. (laughs) Okay. And this is the question that I'm going to end all of the podcast with. What is the best thing that you did today? The best thing I did today was um, work with stressed out students of mine for about 20 minutes in class to make the next few days fair, the right amount of stress, and still ensure that we're learning good stuff. Uh, I'm moving, moving some assignments around, um, making one assignment optional, and really respecting the kids' ability to accurately tell me where their stress was. 
and makes more noises for the end of the podcast. Bum, bum, bum. Oh, hey, you made it to the end of the interview. Thank you so much for listening to Tales from the Chalk Line. I hope that you were as interested in Megan as I was. Um, I'm going to stop here for me, and I'm going to let this podcast end with Megan. Uh, She wanted to give a little caveat about public school and private school and her experiences, which are obviously not everyone's experiences. I hope that you will join us again in a couple of weeks. My goal is to put out one of these every two weeks. Uh, But for now, have an excellent night. One thing I want to say, and I want to make sure it gets in um, past the edit, is uh, I'm very blessed to be in this particular independent school environment, and I very much love and respect the public school world. And sometimes I will say things that, uh, like, for instance, oh, I don't have the behavior problems they do in public schools. I recognize that the particular public school environment I was in and the particular independent school environment I am in set up a lot of those. Like I'm fully aware that, Oh yeah. That there's a lot of individual going on here, individual cases going on. Um, and, and so, uh, my point being, I really respect and appreciate the public school environment. And I don't want to be that independent school teacher who's looking down her nose at the, at the, at the The public situation, right at the bad kids. Um, because it's not at all how I feel about it.